Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We've got a good one here for you. Brad Katona, a Winnipeg guy. Tough Winnipeg guy. He just won the ultimate fighter. We'll talk to Brad. Also, Greg Durrell, his new documentary, Design Canada. And Julie Buckingham on emojis. Please rate the podcast and subscribe to it. And now, the podcast. Winnipeg's Brad Katona is the Tough 27 champ. And I had a chance, as I said, to talk to him. Great conversation with him. Great guy. Didn't forget about Winnipeg when he won the big match. Take a listen. All three judges score this contest 30-26 for the winner by unanimous decision. And now, the ultimate fighter featherweight winner, Brad Superman Katona. Congratulations. Ah, it's a, thank you. Um, you know, it was... Uh... It's been a long journey. It's been a very, it's been a very long journey. I, I I prepared for twelve weeks for that one, and it's nice that um, I was able to show everything I've been working on, working on, show it off. Well, and I love that you mentioned Canada. You mentioned Winnipeg, and kind of where it all started for you after the big win. It was fantastic. I started on this journey when I was fourteen years old with my original coach and lifetime friend, uh, honestly, Curtis Brigham. From, from the Winnipeg Academy of Mixed Martial Arts, you know, he started me on this journey. He was the one, you know, my life could have taken a different path. You know, I could have still uh, been the nerdy kid, not the nerdy kid who does martial arts. So, uh, you know, it was such a good experience, my first day in there. And, you know, he's really, this is years of hard work that he's put into me. And, you know, I'm just proud that, you know, I could represent Canada well. I've lived in Winnipeg for almost my entire life until I moved over to Ireland last November. So um, the journey I've been on, I've had a lot of supportive people behind me. So I had to thank them. You know, I started when I was 14 with Curtis Brigham from the Winnipeg Academy of Mixed Martial Arts. And, you know, I always say that it was, that's one of those teetering points in life where you could have went one way or the other. And my experience was so good there that I stuck along with it and became really for lack of a better word, addicted, addicted to training, addicted to competing. And from there, it all snowballed into, it was all baby steps and just snowballed into uh, competing in professional mixed martial arts and now the UFC. What if you had teetered the other way, Brad? Where might you have ended up? You know, it, it, I'm fortunate enough that I have very supportive parents. So all when I was doing martial arts, I, or uh, at least training mixed martial arts, I was either finishing high school or in university, a mechanical engineering degree. So I'd like to think I would have done that if I wasn't in martial arts because I was always kind of one of the nerdy kids in the class. I got I I, I got good grades. I worked hard there. Um, so I, I think I would have definitely found academia, if not martial arts. And some people would think, okay, maybe maybe he shouldn't have had that good experience. You know, maybe he should have went on. And, and, and be doing more in his field. But really, I felt like I could be a good engineer, but a great mixed martial artist. So um, I was at that point in my life where I could kind of commit fully into uh, my passion, which is which is the sport of, of MMA. Well, I'll tell you, you're one tough, nerdy kid. 
<laughs> you know, I hope I don't need to show off the toughness too much because it means the fight's not going uh, really your way. But, but, but I hope uh, a skilled nerdy kid, I'll take that. There you go. What did that move to Ireland mean for you? You know, it, I was at that point in my career where the competition was only going to get more fierce. And I was undefeated at the time, and I didn't want to make the move after losing. You know, I, I wanted to see the problem ahead, which was, okay, well, the competition's going to be rising very fast, and those level is going to be increasing as, as, as I gain more victories. But I didn't want to be right up against that line. I wanted to be ahead of it. You know, I want, I want to be better than the guys I'm going to be competing against, and hopefully all the way through to a title shot. That is, that is the dream. Um, so I saw that problem, and I was like, okay, well, the best gym in the world, in my opinion, was SPG Island. Uh, one of the best coaches, John Kavanaugh, is, is, is the head coach there. And he's the one, he's one of the guys who, who trained Conor McGregor. But after Conor won the lightweight belt, John was saying that I'm not happy with just producing one world champion. I want to produce another. And here I am in Canada being, well, I'll just come to you then, you know? So I went over there. It was such a good experience that uh, after being there for a month, the ultimate fighter tryouts came up. I hopped on that opportunity. I knew I was going to be in the house in January. So then it was preparing for that. So really the move to Ireland sparked everything. It sparked me going to uh, the tryouts, which led me into that house and that, which led me to the finale that I just prepared and, uh, and fought on. How's your cousin doing? You mentioned your cousin after winning tough 27. You, you know, my cousin Angie is doing great. Um, she's recovering well. It really, you know, she, it, it was one of these things where I came home and my parents didn't even tell me about it. And, uh, you, you know, they told me when she was, going in for surgery and it was one of those was like you know she's gonna she's gonna kick its butt you know that that's all there is to it and and that's what we all we all thought and uh and she did they went in there they operated i forget how long the surgery was it was it was 12 to 16 hours i know like it was, it was three surgeons taking shifts and you know they 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 did an amazing job and she came out there healthy and and so um, she's just recovering now, and I, I know she. I believe she watched my fight um, here, and that was very special to me. And it was just one of those, you know, if I can, if I can say something to maybe boost your spirits, just just a tad, you right, know. Right. Um, why why not? You know mm -hmm. why not? I, I got the platform. You got to use it. About a week ago, my my cousin Andrea, she had a she had a tumor about the size of an orange, and she beat the heck out of that thing. Uh, she, she's on the mend, you know. So doing this. You know, this is, this is easy. I, I, I guess uh, there's fighters in that Katona blood. You got a family full of warriors. Let's give it up for this one. Brad Katona, ladies and gentlemen. Why are there so many tough fighters coming out of Winnipeg? Man, we got a lot of tough people here. I, I don't know exactly why there's a lot of good fighters coming out of Winnipeg. You know, we had Ron Delorme, Joe Dirksen, uh, Louis Fassett, and then I believe even Kristoff Szczynski was from Winnipeg originally. Um, so there's been four that have fought either on the Ultimate Fighter or the UFC, and you know I I, I was grown up with some of those guys. You know I, I remember being 15 years old and Joe Dirksen was in the gym. I I think what part of it was is we had really good jujitsu in Winnipeg. Uh, my coach Curtis Brigham had had trained with Joe um, as well, and their coaches were going to and from. Brazil and learning from the best and bring that knowledge back. So I feel like we were a little bit ahead of the curve 
little bit. And and we've had, you know, one good gym, especially you know, the Whamma, the, the gym I, I, I grew up in. You know, we had a lot of growing talent there and an open-minded um, attitude, which allowed everybody to, to kind of grow and, and uh, find their own style. And that's, I think, really important, not just throwing everybody into a cookie-cutter mold, but letting us be, you know, artists and more mixed martial artists and, and, and really being able to find what works for us. So we've had multiple different uh, styles coming out of Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's just a testament to Jim and the coaches. Hey, Brad, you're the Tough 27 champ. Now what? Tell me about your UFC career. What do you want it to be? You know what? I Looking right now, it's a, it's always one one fight at a time. I came into this sport wanting to be world champion, though, so I want to keep working towards that. Uh, in terms of my next competition, I'm really pushing for UFC Toronto. Um, December 8th, they're coming to Toronto, and that would be an amazing card to compete on, being in Canada. It's a short trip for Winnipeggers, you know. I, I, I'd really, that would be my dream spot uh, to compete next. You know, I get to heal up my body, and then I get to prepare. That way I can show off the best me again. You know, that's what I'd really like. Competing in Canada would be huge, especially uh, on a UFC card, and, and that's what I'm aiming for. Well, Brad, best of luck, and I hope we can stay in touch. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. The Ultimate Fighter Champ, Winnipeg's Brad Katona. Pretty cool stuff, you know. You've got guys like Joe Rogan in the ring after the win interviewing you. Wow. Good for him. Wish him all the best with his UFC career. Great when we see... uh, and, you know, a good guy, eh? You know, did not forget Winnipeg, mentioned Winnipeg, mentioned his cousin who's battling cancer. Ah, best of luck, Brad. Brad Katona, don't forget that name. He could be a big UFC star one day and probably not that far down the road. Durrell. He has a new documentary. It's called Design Canada, and the Winnipeg premiere is at the Park Theatre tonight. Greg, nice to meet you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yes. Uh, so anybody who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that I am a big documentary fan, love documentaries, so I'm anxious to see yours. Um, tell us about it, because you're a graphic designer from Vancouver, correct? Uh, yeah, originally from Toronto, but um, yeah, as a designer, you know, I have a lot of respect for the symbols and logos that have surrounded me seemingly my whole life, yeah. and when you look around at the history of design in the U.S. or Britain, um, Canada's history is just as strong as any of those kind of other nations. So, uh, yet our history wasn't as documented as, as some of those other countries. Yeah, so, I was surprised to hear that. Yeah, so I just kind of decided one day six years ago that I would set out and find out, um, you know, who made these symbols and why they were made. Okay, so give us some examples, uh, symbols that we would all know, and give us the story. Uh, well, for example, I mean, one of the craziest things that I learned was, you know, our our flag is only 50 years old. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, 51, 52 years old. Right. And, you know, it's, that that alone is such an interesting story. Like, coming out of World War II, mm-hmm. uh, there was a new kind of sense of national pride across this country, and that yeah. led to questioning of some of our, you know, most iconic symbols, including our flag. And, and you know, they, it's, it's crazy because my whole life I've grown up with that maple leaf. I've known that to be my flag. And if you even think about who Canada is and who we are as a nation and what we stand for, to have a flag that was inspired by the soil of our countries is, mm. is beautiful. 
beautiful. There's no aggressive symbols or shapes or colors. It was truly inspired by by the ground of Canada, which is which is fantastic, and I think shapes who we are as a nation. Yeah. What about logos? Because I think yeah. so many times in our life, right, a logo, a business, a trademark logo becomes a part of our growing up, and we look back at them. I think you know they're sentimental in some ways. So was there anything like that you found? For sure. Yeah. I mean, probably the most influential one of that decade is the CN Railways logo. Mm. I mean, we've all been uh, waiting, waiting by the side of the of, of the tracks as the car goes by, and yeah. it's incredible how recognizable that symbol is and how it stood the test of time. You know, it's a single thickness line. It's a connection between a C and an N that symbolizes the movement of people, materials, and messages from one point to another. Yeah. And this was one of the first um, sort of corporate identity modern logos that was put in place anywhere in the world. So the CN not only changed the history of design in Canada, but it also contributed to the, the history of design in the whole world. Yeah. And I'm sure you kind of geek out a bit, right? Because you are a graphic <laughs> designer. So you probably you know would notice things that maybe the average person doesn't notice. And so that must be exciting for you to kind of tell that story and people to realize, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, um, you know, the film has been a month old right now. And uh, as I was just saying, we're kind of touring it like a rock band right now. But I think one of the the two biggest takeaways that I've taken from people that have seen it is that um, after watching Design Canada, they are able to decode and decipher these symbols which have surrounded them their whole lives, but they've never seen that extra level of detail. So that would be the one thing. And the second takeaway is that, you know, it's an alternate look at the history of our country through the kind of lens of art and design and the symbols that we choose to represent ourselves. Mm -hmm. And good for you because we've talked about this uh, uh, recently, how, you know, we seem to know a lot of American history, but when it comes to Canadian history, I don't know... uh, you know, we aren't as interested, it seems, or if we are, we don't find it as interesting. So good for you for, you know, looking at Canadian design and saying, hey, you know what, this hasn't been documented and I'm going to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think as Canadians, sometimes we're a little humble, which is okay, yep. but uh, I don't think we support our heroes enough. And I mm. think this was a perfect example of that. Like there was a group of European immigrants that moved here, uh, escaping the war, the, yeah. Euro- the world war, mm. and found a new home in Canada and helped us uh, discover our sense of self and break away from our colonial roots to create the vibrant multicultural society that we know and love today. Yeah. So as a graphic designer, then doing the research for this film, Design Canada. Do you have any new heroes? Do you have uh, heroes that have come from this film you've done? So many, to be honest, like everyone that I've met with along the journey from, you know, even even down to the Canada wordmark that we see everywhere. I mean, you walk down the s- streets in the city and uh, there's there's a hidden story there. I mean, even the way that the flag is placed above the A, it locks up next to the D that acts as a flagpole. And so meeting the designers behind these stories, meeting, learning about them, learning about why they created things, the concept, mm-hmm. um, that's just changed my perspective. But I think so... I'm I'm incredibly grateful to have had those conversations, but but to kind of put a twist on your question is that I hope that it inspires more conversations and we uh, inspires the next generation of designers to seriously consider what we're going to use to represent ourselves in the future because I truly believe design can be a tool to help create social change. Yeah, and you're in Winnipeg, so we did you are. come across any Winnipeg uh, designs, maybe or? Uh, you know, and the reason I ask that question is because we're sort of known for our architectural design in the Exchange District, mm-hmm. for example. And there are some things that are very Winnipeg 
that are ours, and I'm just curious if you ran across anything. So the, the focus of the film is really trying to look on these national symbols. Mm. Um, so although, you know, 1960s Canada is predominantly takes place in Toronto and Montreal, yeah. um, Montreal actually more so than even Toronto, that was the center of capital at that time, yeah. um, Canada. But um, but so there's not a specific Winnipeg yeah. connection, but all these logos are, they're as relevant to us in Winnipeg as Absolutely. they are in Tuktiaktuk. Yeah, yeah. And so, and there would be Winnipeg examples, of and course. I can't even yeah. think of any offhand, to be honest with you, but that would be interesting, eh, if there, and now, if, as you said, this causes more of a conversation Absolutely. if, you know, communities and cities and towns started looking at theirs, and as you said, that's kind of what this is about, right? A hundred percent, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I think design can contribute to social change. Like, one very quick example is uh, in the ni- late 60s, early 70s, during the uh, FLQ crisis in Quebec, you know, that was a very divisive period of our right. history that looked like Canada may not survive as a single nation. Mm-hmm. Trudeau came out with the Official Languages Act in 1969, which which proclaimed that all official government communications would be in French and English. And when you look back on the design system, probably to, to the average person, they wouldn't really understand there's a system because it's just a flag and it locks up with English text and then it locks up with with French text yeah. and it, that's just the way it is. But there was incredible amount of thinking in terms of how that structure happens, how these two type, all these two languages lock up and how you make that consistent from coast to coast to coast. Yeah. So although that is an example of design, we might not necessarily see, and it doesn't seem overly graphic. It is an example of keeping the country together at a time when it looked like we may not survive. Yeah. I love, you know what? It, I, I think of this in terms of you kind of geeking out, right? You're into, yeah, you're absolutely. into this. Design, yeah. but you get to geek out and tell a great story—a story that maybe many of us wouldn't have even realized is there. Yeah, then that was that was the goal, you know. Like working in design, uh, if if I tell my mom, you know, as a graphic designer, what I do, and if I tell her I'm designing a wedding invite, she gets it. But yeah. if I say I'm working on a, you know, a, a rebrand for a national Canadian sports organization to connect everything from their grassroots uh, athletes to their high performance athletes, and with the ultimate goal of putting athletes on the podium through. Sp- Sponsorship, licensing, and merchandise. It's a stretch for She her. just doesn't get yeah. it, you know? Right. So so really, that was the goal, was to try to take away the kind of mystique behind this profession yeah. of design, because I think it's just been a forgotten form of art, yeah. you know, and help people see it in a different way and not and make it a little bit more approachable. Mm-hmm. Speaking of forms of art, I really believe, and I'm sure you do now too, documentaries, a form of art. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's one that you hadn't done before. Is it something you want to keep doing now? Have you have you really enjoyed it? Yeah, I, I have actually. It's been an incredible um, journey. I, it, it took me six years to make this. You know, I started this. I didn't even know anyone who had made a film before. I didn't even know I was making a film. I just saw when I looked at our history. I just realized that the pioneers of this profession in Canada were kind of entering the final years of their lives. So it was now or never to capture their stories. And um, unfortunately, six people in the film have passed away since I recorded those interviews. But um, I am proud to say I, I did get those interviews and their their legacy will live on in this film. But but yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic medium like you. I'm a huge documentary guy, yeah. too. So, uh, yeah, I hope I have the privilege to continue to make films after this. And now you're taking it across the country tonight. It's the Winnipeg premiere at the Park Theater. What yep. time can people just walk in, get their tickets. How, how does it work? Uh, yeah, so we're tonight at 7 p.m. We are actually sold out oh, right wow, now. Good for you. So there could, um, there may be a rush line if we don't, um, 
if not everyone shows up. So mm-hmm. there may be limited tickets available at the door, but yeah, currently as of right now, we're, we're sold out. Oh, so well, I'm glad thanks I got, for the sport, Winnipeg. I'm gl- yeah, and I'm glad I got you on to talk about it because I'm sure at some point we'll be able to see it Netflix course, or yeah, online absolutely. or, or wherever. Yeah. So, and now just because I am a documentary geek <laughs> yeah. and I wish I had time to make my own documentaries, um, and I love that you found something you're passionate about because I think that's the key, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste a bunch of time telling a story I'm not passionate about. So good for you for finding that subject matter. But I'm curious to know, uh, now that you have this and, and it's out there a month old and if it starts to you know get traction and, and it becomes a successful document, you didn't do this to make money. I know that about <laughs> documentaries. But what if, you know, do you say, hey, like maybe this can end up on Netflix. Maybe somebody shows an interest in doing more, a more wide release with it. Like, is that a hope of yours? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've we've begun to have some really great conversations about that. So it will be uh, available in the fall. Absolutely. Um, online through through the regular channels, many yeah. of that you've mentioned. Sure. But um, yeah, we're, as of right now, we're still growing it. You know, viewer by viewer. You know, we premiered June 13th. It's the 17th today, so that's just over a month. I think this is our 10th city we've played in. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of getting out to the people and and doing these screenings and having um, sort of an intimate Q and A after, where like like this conversation, yeah. they can ask me whatever they right. want. So, so that's the plan right now is to just build this viewer by viewer. But we'll do a proper uh, digital release in the fall. Cool. Well, I'm happy for you, man. It's nice to thanks meet so you. Much. You seem yeah, like a very cool it. guy. And best of luck with the film. And thanks for coming in. I appreciate. Thanks so much for your passion, too. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Durrell, Design Canada. As uh, Greg said, it will be available soon online, so we'll keep an eye on that. Greg Durrell, Design Canada. (laughs) Julie, thank you for coming in here. I was uh, walking by Julie in the newsroom, and she goes, You know, Al, (laughs) it's World Emoji Day. And I said, Oh, I'm aware. I've got some interesting stats that I'm going to share. She goes, You know... (laughs) There is a good reason to have emojis. Sure there is. Okay, explain. Make your argument, because it's a good one. You told me in the newsroom, and it is a good one. Let's think about texts and emails. Yes. You cannot detect tone True. from those things. In most cases, you're right, yeah. And How many times have you done that, eh? Taken an email or a text message the wrong way? Frequently. Yes. Particularly with my 17-year-old. Ah. Right? He's like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Who I met today, by the yeah. way. Yeah, for the yeah. first time. Great he kid. He came by and yeah. said hello. And, and so often he'll say something and I'll be like, that yeah. little... How could he talk to his mother like that? Exactly. Mm. And then I'll say, hey. And he's like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. And I right. said, okay, I can't detect sarcasm. Right. Or you being funny Mm -hmm. through a text message. And let's be honest, that whole generation, that is their primary form of communication. Yeah. They don't pick up a phone and call. No. No. And I'm not saying you need to, and I mean, at times I have been called anti-emoji by my my wee nephew. Yeah. But it's, they like it. It's fun, right? You know, if he's talking about his dog, you can just flip them the little dog one or whatever. Well, and now there is literally an emoji for everything. There sure is. And, And I'm... I'm a bit of a Bitmoji fan. What's that? Do you know Bitmoji? No. Oh, we're going to get you on that. This is when you create your own little caricature. Yes. So there is like a little Julie, and then it's a whole other keyboard. Really? Yeah. This is way too complicated. I should have brought my phone in. Are you kidding me? This is not complicated. My mom has her own Bitmoji. All my friends have it. And so, you know, if it's if you're saying something funny or if, if you texted me and say, you know, uh, it was a great show today. I'll see you tomorrow. I might reply with you. 
and it'd be like a little Julie saying good night. And it would be like a little cartoon of me saying good night. Mm. Or so you can just reply a lot more quickly. But primarily, I think they can be super handy when you're trying to be like, as I am frequently, a bit of a smart aleck. Yes. You can put the little winky face there so that they know, right. hey, she's joking. Yeah. This is not. Yeah. So I think they can be helpful mm. that way. And I heard Jeff Courier was, how could emojis be? Yeah. Useful, right? Well, and but you then, know how I teased, right? I didn't tell him your argument. That's true. I wanted him and others to listen. And then he proved my point because he says, oh, "I never use it well unless I try to reply quickly, and then it might be the thumbs up." Ah. Exactly my point. Yeah, he still got his point across. Right. Very quickly. Uh-huh. You get it. It's like yeah. the yeah. Uh, thumbs up. Okay, good. Yeah. And you've moved on, and everybody's like, "Okay, got it." There's right. no, there's no gray area. Sometimes when yes. you use an emoji. Very good. Julie, you've made a very strong argument. Yeah. Do you have a favorite emoji? You asked me, and what did I say? You said the poop emoji. Poop. I just said poop. The happy poop emoji. You know emoji. what? Sometimes I'll get up in the morning, and I'll feel like poop, and I'll just uh, <laughs> grab my phone, and I'll send everybody in my uh, phone uh, list a poop emoji. But why is the poop emoji smiling? Well... That's my question. Yeah. So there I, are still if, emoji if I, questions. If I was the poop emoji, I would not be smiling. <laughs> yeah. No, good point. So uh, I like that one a lot as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Favorite? Um, favorite? Probably the one where the eyeballs are wide open mm. and the mouth is like smiling. Because, okay. again, if you texted me that, yeah. I might reply with that emoji. Right. Like, yeah. why? What's, yeah. what's up? Right. Why am I hearing from you? <laughs> that you're not well. <laughs> I've got some interesting numbers. Before okay. you run, let me share some things with you here. Please do. On uh, this World Emoji Day, apparently in honor of World Emoji Day, Apple is previewing some of its upcoming emoji. Did We're you know this? We're getting new ones. Apparently. Um, the, set will, the Apple emoji set now will soon feature people with a variety of hairstyles and colors, including curly hair, red hair, and white hair. Okay, it's about time for some of that. Other fun emoji will include a freezing face, which will come in handy around here. Yes. Right? How is it? uh, See, you could say, what's it like out today? We can just shoot you the freezing face. Instead of typing out freezing. It's freezing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also a peacock, a mango. See, some of these I wonder, really, is there a need for like a peacock, mango, lobster? uh, Well, some of those have double entendre. That's true. <laughs> and we won't go into that. Superheroes and kangaroo. So, yeah. Those Maybe are the you're ones hopping are, to it? I don't know. I don't know. But quickly, again, some numbers. Yes. Because, you you know, I'm sitting here, uh, you know, taking shots at emoji users, but they get used. Five billion emojis. Five billion with a B are sent every day on Facebook Messenger. Every day, five wow. billion. One billion every day are sent on Facebook without any text at all. So kind of to your point, right? Yep. Just the emoji. Uh, the most used emoji on Twitter, not the poop. Uh, <laughs> it is the face with tears of joy. Oh, the ha- okay, yeah. yeah, makes sense. Um, We're by, getting emojis uh, by text I know we now. are, which I love. Yeah, people are sending us emojis. Uh, was there another one I wanted to do? Oh, and I kind of think emojis are probably in most used more often by women than men, if we're talking yeah. in real general terms. Yep, makes and sense. I'm right. 57% of emoji user, users on Twitter, at least, are women. There you go. 
Oh, and we're talking about me being a dinosaur today because we're talking about cash and card, cash yes. or card. I heard you're only partly dinosaur. Mm, yeah, but 86%, so a huge majority, 86% of emoji users on Twitter are 24 or younger. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So there okay. you go. Well, we got to work on your Hal Anderson bit mode. Okay. I'm going to leave that to you to help me, okay? Okay. And yeah, it's like nonstop. People are just sending us <laughs> emojis now. Oh, my. oh, we got a kiss. That's, What's oh, a, I yeah. like the kiss no, one a lot. Now, what is this? Oh, that must mean something bad. I don't know what that is, but it's three in a row there. And it, uh, I, yeah. Some of them don't come through on text oh, my quite goodness. the way we might look expect. At, look at this. We're right out of time, so we can't <laughs> talk about it. Thank you, Julia Buckingham.